So we look at specifically what is causing your body to go into fight, fight, or freeze, and how can we put your body back into neutral? I am Cheryl Whitten, and this is The Aromatherapist, where we discover the superpower of plants. One of the biggest problems in aromatherapy is conflicting information and crazy wild claims. All you have to do is search essential oils on the internet and you'll see what I'm talking about. So when you're looking for information, how do you know who to trust and how do you know what's right? Well, that's the reason I created this podcast and a course called Science of Aromatherapy. The Science of Aromatherapy course takes you through aromatherapy as a healing art and the history and modern use of essential oils. You'll learn the basics of aromatherapy, the science and chemistry of essential oils, contraindications and safety considerations, and clinical and personal applications. In this course, I take you through everything from how aromatherapy affects epilepsy and bleeding disorders to drug interactions, allergies and sensitivities, and to use in pregnancy and breastfeeding, and even with children. We covered the main modes of application and profiles of the 10 most popular essential oils. By the end of the course, you'll understand the most common contraindications and safety guidelines, how to use essential oils, how to build a protocol, and how to choose, cross-reference, and eliminate essential oils, as well as how to formulate, blend, and dilute essential oils, and so much more. So why should you learn from me? Well, I'm a clinical aromatherapist and I've been working with essential oils for around 20 years. I've trained with some of the world's renowned botanists and aromatherapy experts, and I teach people all over the world about aromatherapy. I also happen to be a professional health writer and have published peer-reviewed research work in aromatherapy. It's no longer necessary to be confused about aromatherapy. Let me guide you to clarity. Visit livelovelemon.com forward slash science dash course to enroll. My guest today is Dr. Jesse Sagander from Brain Breakthrough Therapy. And Dr. Jesse is native to the Northwest, USA. She loves reading, traveling, and learning. And her passion for working with dyslexia comes from her own daughter's dyslexic diagnosis and struggles and triumphs through a version of NOT. Jesse's background is in education with a Bachelor of Arts in Education, a Master's in Curriculum and Instruction, and a PhD in Educational Leadership. She volunteers with the Oregon branch of the International Dyslexia Association, and she is the co-founder of Action Parenting. Dr. Sagander has worked on over 100 clients with brain breakthrough therapy and trained practitioners in the therapy as well. Prior to starting the brain breakthrough, Dr. Jesse was director of online learning for a nonprofit, worked as an administrator and a high school teacher for several years. So I talked to Dr. Jesse today about how we can use body work to make progress in PTSD, in dyslexia, in the side effects of concussions, and trauma, and and anxiety. And this was such a great conversation that I had with her because of my own personal experience that I was having at the time talking to her and something we've been working through with our kids and what's happening um, in their learning differences and trying to get to the bottom of, of what's going on. So getting to pick her brain a little bit, and at the time we were also going through another lockdown with 2020 and this whole last past year of 
of new type of learning environments for our kids and just everything that are all of our kids, not just mine, all of our kids are going through. It was such a good moment to talk to her and it came at the perfect time because I started using some of, of her tips in this in this conversation to reducing anxiety so that we could get better learning environment for the kids. And I was so thankful that she came in to my life right at that moment. So this conversation is so wonderful. Dr. Jesse shares just the how to recognize learning differences in your kids if you're not really sure what's happening. And also just some really simple things that we can do to help them get past the anxiety and the stress response that happens in the body in response to a new learning task and living with a learning difference. And so my friends, Dr. Jesse Sagander. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell us about yourself. Where are you from and how you became involved in holistic health? Absolutely. Um, so I am from the Northwest. I live in Portland, Oregon. And my background's in education. I have a doctorate in education. And um, my daughter was diagnosed with dyslexia when she was in second grade. And I realized really quickly that even though I had an extensive background in education, I didn't know a lot about dyslexia. And so that kind of took me on a new journey. And we went through the traditional ways of getting her help for dyslexia. We did some tutoring. We got her a 504 at school. And we saw progress. Um, but it was painful and it was hard. And then I um, have an uncle who's dyslexic. And he said, Jess, I stumbled upon this therapy and I've kind of tried everything and it really worked. And you should look into it. And at that time, I was not interested in holistic medicine at all. Like it wasn't even on my radar. So we sat on it for a while. And I thought, well, what if this is the thing that actually helps? And so we took her to see somebody and I saw gains in her that I could not reproduce in my classroom. And that was the catalyst. And I was like, I'm, what is this? How do I get it to everybody? And I want to know absolutely everything I possibly can. I often find that that is a, a very common experience when I'm talking to people that, you know, they've gone through something and it's changed their life and changed their experience and they want to share it. So you work with anxiety and trauma along with concussions and then also um, dyslexia and reading problems. So can you tell us how these relate to brain function and how do these affect the brain and like what is kind of happening in the brain during some of these events? Absolutely. So each one is a little bit different. So we'll start with dyslexia. So a dyslexic brain has a different roadmap in it than a person without dyslexia. And so I like to say to people, if our brain goes from point A to point B, a dyslexic brain might go point A, C, D, F, and then B. Right. And so they're literally, their brain is wired differently. They use a different part of their brain when they um, go to read. Um, they hear things differently. Their auditory processing is a different. And so, so they have a different roadmap. Than, than a typical person. People that have concussions, concussions can have wide ranging effects. When we have a concussion, oftentimes our jaw can get locked. Mm. Um, that can impact all the rest of the bones in our skull. And when things are off just a little bit, it can be harder to process information, to handle light sensitivity, to handle noise sensitivity, all of that kind of stuff. And then with anxiety and trauma, a big one is just how our brain handles our nervous system. Hmm. So, you know, there's some really great work out of Dr. Dan Siegel, where he talks about the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain, and we use that model a lot, right? And so when he talks about this idea that when we get triggered into fight, fight, or freeze, um, we flip our lid. And when we, we know that when we 
gets to a place where our lid is flipped, the rational part of our brain turns off. And the part of our brain um, that is just fight, fight, and freeze, that automatic reaction is that the majority of what's propelling us forward at that moment. So when we have extreme trauma, we flip our lid and then we our brain works out a different way. And when we have a lot of anxiety, we flip our lid. If we flip our lid enough, or if we get triggered by enough things, our body can get stuck kind of permanently with a flip lid. And then that impacts absolutely everything we do. Yeah. So each one, I mean, the brain responds differently to each thing, but really at the core of what it is, is we were designed in a certain way to, to process information, to handle anxiety, to handle trauma, to handle concussions. If something has caught us off that original blueprint, um, our body's figuring out a different way to do it. And, and it just makes things harder. Yeah. And you're going to have that body experience when you flip your lid, you're, you have a somatic experience, which is the feeling yeah. of it all in your body. It's got to go somewhere. Right. So yes. how are anxiety and dyslexia linked? Yeah. There's a lot of studies that tell us that people that have learning differences have higher rates of anxiety. So I think about 20% of the population prior to COVID struggles with anxiety. Now it's probably a lot more, but um, there's a higher rate amongst people who have learning differences. And what's interesting with the clients I work with, so we, with me, we work through four different levels. And the first level we work with is just your nervous system. So before we actually even look at you learning, we look at your nervous system. And when, a, when one of my dyslexic clients thinks about a book, they flip their lid. Mm. They see a book, they flip their lid. When they think about, I mean, I can work with clients that are in their 80s. And when they think about what their second grade teacher said to them, they flip their lid. And so when learning is already hard because your brain is wired differently, and then we add anxiety in on top of that, and we get stuck in fight, fight, or freeze, it is so much harder to learn and to process um, and to do things. There's also another level of anxiety we live with every day of what if people find out um, call them in the classroom. What if I can't spell the word? What if my coworker realizes that I stumble over my words and I give my presentation? So I think there's a much more heightened level of anxiety they live with oftentimes um, because they're trying to always overcompensate for some of their weaknesses. Yeah. And, and interesting, you mentioned like that grade, second grade teacher, because that's an emotional trauma as well. Right. So then, so then you've got that. It's, like, it's just another layer happening Absolutely. there. Absolutely. So, so, okay. So then if we want to recognize so somebody who might be experiencing dyslexia or curious about it, or maybe not sure what's happening yet, what are some kind of behaviors then that we would see in kids and adults as well? Absolutely. So one in five people have dyslexia. Mm. So it is extremely common. There are also 12 different types of dyslexia. So each person can look really different. I remember with my daughter, her teacher said, but she's, she's not flipping her words, her letters. And I said, I write, but dyslexia can look very much different than just that. So it can be, it's really wide ranging, but some really common things, a, a major red flag is if you had speech problems at a young age, there's a high likelihood that there is dyslexia involved. Uh, my daughter did not, um, but that's a really common thing. Um, if they are struggling with decoding, so being able to put sounds together. I remember with my daughter, I would go, ka, a, t. She would go, I don't know. And then I, I taught English, high school English. So I thought I just must have really high expectations. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. So when I had my second one, he could, oh, cat right away. And so they struggled to put sounds together. Oftentimes they will begin to read the beginning of a word and then just guess what the rest of the word is. Um, they don't actually, one of the things that's so interesting about dyslexics is they see something very different on the page than you and I might see on the page. Um, so that's one of the ways. Um, when they read, the words might move on the page or they might lose their spot on the page. 
Um, it can look like um, knowing what they want to say. So you could sit down and have a conversation with them about what paper they want to write. And then they get in front of that piece of paper and they, something, what they want to say doesn't come out or the words they want to say come out twisted. Um, it can be being able, like reading through something and having to read it through it two or three times because they don't, the comprehension is just, they're just not getting the comprehension. It's interesting, you know, when we, we learn to read up until about the third grade, and then in third grade, we begin to read to learn. And so up until third grade, you know, it, you may just have a kid that's a little bit delayed, but by third or fourth grade, if they're not, haven't really mastered the reading, then usually that's a sign that something's going on. For adults, it looks very much the same way, just at a different level. So it could be a struggle with organization, with our executive functioning. It's very much those adults that go, oh, I hate to read. It's, it's so exhausting to read. It shouldn't be hard for your body to read. Then that's that's a warning sign. Um, it's the spelling along the way, all along the way. It's the adults who sometimes you might go to like a, a seminar and um, some people can take in all that information the first time they hear it. And if you're dyslexic, you probably need to hear it a couple times or take some notes in order for it to like fully sink in. So yeah, so I think so many dyslexics have overcompensated. They, they weren't identified, especially as an adult. And They've just made workarounds. I think it's 40% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic um, because they had to, to do what worked for them and, and define and work in a way that was going to be the best for them. Um, so it looks different, but if, if reading is hard, if auditory processing is hard, if you don't see, I mean, a typical person should see three or four words at a time on the page. And if you only see two or three letters at a time before you have to move your eyes, all of those are clues in that there's something going on in your body. It's very interesting that you're, you are talking about executive function disorder. This is something that we're dealing with in our family and just trying to get to the bottom of some information. And what does that look like? Can you explain what some of behaviors of someone yeah. has that? Yeah. So oftentimes it's a disorganization. Mm -hmm. So it's looking like their school binder is all over the place or um, they're really disorganized at their work desk. Sometimes it's the struggle to understand, figure out how long something's going to take them. So they may look at something and think, well, that homework is going to take me 10 minutes, but realistically, it probably was going to take them an hour. And there's just that disconnection between understanding all of the parts and how long it's going to take them to do the parts. Um, it can be things like, you know, oftentimes if you're an adult dyslexic, you still may not know your right from your left. Kids struggle with that. Um, it can be things like knowing how to tie your shoe. Um, if that's a really hard struggle, then that's usually a sign. Um, but a lot of that organization and that time management, that ability to kind of focus on something, um, all of those are pieces of executive functioning. Can we change the brain function or can we optimize that uh, brain function to improve dyslexia? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the part when I began to do, dive into this, I went, oh my gosh. Because, you know, up until 10 or 15 years ago, we didn't believe in neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, the brain can be taught to function a different way. So the work that I do is um, based out of something called the neural organizational technique. So I've taken that and then laid on what I know um, in my years in counseling and then also my years as an educator to create brain breakthrough therapy. But at the core of what it is, it's the neural organizational technique. And that technique essentially says we had a blueprint something caused our blueprint to go off. And so it could be genetic. Dyslexia is a genetic thing. It could be trauma. Trauma makes that blueprint go off. It makes our body respond differently. It could be anxiety. It could be a concussion. And what we want to do is actually ask the body to go back to its original blueprint. So all of um, 
the neural organizational technique and the work I do is based off of pattern recognition theory. And so we look at the body in four different levels. And the first level we look at is the trauma. So how has your body held in the trauma? And we look at your primitive reflexes. So our primitive reflexes were we're born with them. They help us, you know, eat and crawl and sit up and they should do their job and integrate into the body. Oftentimes people who have dyslexia, um, their primitive reflexes didn't actually integrate in and they're still turned on. Similarly, you can have extreme trauma and maybe your, your primitive reflex is turned off in the beginning, but that trauma can actually trigger them and turn them back on. So sometimes I work with clients who say, well, learning wasn't hard until I was 25. Well, what happens when you're 25? Well, I was in an abusive relationship for a year. Mm. So that's changed the neural pathways in your brain. So we look at primitive, primitive reflexes. And that's a, a, a large part of what we do. We use muscle testing to tell us when your primitive reflexes are disconnected. Um, and then we just use light touch to turn them um, to turn them back off. Um, we work a lot with the sphenoid. So we know that if the sphenoid it can be, we can have a left brain suppression or a right brain suppression, it can be tilted. And the sphenoid is really important. It touches 12 other bones in our skull. And so if our sphenoid is tilted to the left or to the right, it means it's taking more energy for our body to turn on that side of our brain. And if it's tilted, it impacts our auditory processing, our reading comprehension, our eye tracking, all of those things. So we work to, to get it straight again, to make it not tilt. Um, we work a ton with eye fascia because a dyslexic often sees something different on the page. And so we want to work with the eye fascia to smooth it out so that you're able to see all of the words on the page. Um, and then we do a ton of work with the nervous system. So we look at specifically what is causing your body to go into fight, fight, or freeze, and how can we put your body back into neutral? Um, using light touch, we use a ton of work around the atlas with the emotional um, capacity of the atlas. Um, and we want to put your body back into neutral. And what I say to people all the time is, it's not that you're going to suddenly think of that person that you hate and not, you know, just love them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that you're, you can think about them and your body's not going to go into fight, fight, or freeze. Or you can see a book and your body's not going to go into fight, fight, or freeze so that you can move forward in those areas. Very cool. So it's a lot of body experience as well. It's all, yeah, it's body work. It's light touch all the way through. And it's, it's all, it's very physical body work that we're doing. Okay. And this works for anxiety as well? Yes, it works for anxiety, trauma, concussions, and then dyslexia um, or learning issues. I'm quickly interrupting this episode to tell you about one of my favorite essential oil companies, Mountain Rose Herbs. So one of the questions I get asked the most is which brand do I recommend and which brand do I use in my clinic? And if you've been listening for a while or if you're new here, you will know or you will soon learn that I am extremely picky about the essential oils that I use in my clinic and the essential oils that I recommend other people use. And Mountain Rose Herbs is one of the brands that I have personally vetted and that I personally recommend. Mountain Rose Herbs essential oils are USDA organic, they are non-GMO and ethically harvest, and they are high quality. These are authentic essential oils that are gonna get you results. They are also fair trade certified and they are sustainable with a zero waste program. This is very important to me and I know this is important to you as well. And so right now, if you're looking to get some essential oils, you can get 10% off Mountain Rose Herbs essential oils. Visit mountainroseherbs.com and use code AROMAPOD10 to get 10% off essential oils. And now back to our episode. Okay, so right now, um, you mentioned this already, in 2020, there are a lot of kids who are neurotypical who are dealing with anxiety in these kind of 
online learning situations or like home learning environments. And for us, we've been kind of at school and then we've been home and then we're going back to school and it's so much. Mm. Um, and so we can just imagine what the impact of those situations are on kids who have dyslexia or other learning disabilities. So what are some techniques if, if people don't have access to you, for example, what are some techniques that we can use with kids to help with that anxiety around this learning situation? Absolutely. So there's lots of things that we can get our kids to do. Um, we know that when our body goes into fight, flight, or freeze, which is often where that anxiety comes from, um, we there's this release of adrenaline in our bodies, right? So it, it, into all the systems in our bodies. Um, and that adrenaline needs to get released somehow. So always moving the body is helpful. We can get our kids up and active even for five to 10 minutes um, to release some of that energy or that stress that's going to help. If you can get your kid to flip upside down, so maybe hang off the monkey bars or like hang off your couch or put their heads between their legs. It calms down their vestibular system, mm. brings kind of a calm to it. Another really practical thing you can do is if you um, put your hand, one hand on your forehead and one hand on the back of your head, at the base of your um, skull. Um, and if you'll just leave your hands there and breathe for about 30 seconds, the seconds, it's going to calm down your body and your brain tremendously. It kind of makes your body have to pay attention to the present, not be so worried about the future or the past. Um, another one we talk about all the time is just grounding techniques that you can use with your kids. And one of the best things that I have found is to really trigger one of your five senses. Mm. So it's um, something that we practice ahead of time. It's, you know, the first time I tried it, my kids were already melting down and I tried to get, it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we practice ahead of time, but um, it looks like really triggering your five senses. So maybe that's popping an altoid in your mouth because when our body, when our five senses are triggered, um, our lid has to come back on. Our body, our brain has to start paying attention to our body again. Um, it can't stay in this constant state of fight, fight, or freeze. And so it can be an altoid. It can be drinking a really cold cup of water. It can be wrapping up in a cozy blanket. It can be turning on your favorite music or lighting your favorite candle. All of those things, the quicker we can trigger those five senses, the quicker we're going to help our kids. And I think beyond that, you know, when, as kids are growing and developing, they co-regulate with us. So mm. we see their anxiety. Oftentimes we have to stop and look at ourselves and go, am I feeling anxiety? Where is it coming from? And how do I help calm my own body down so I can help calm my kids' bodies down? Absolutely. That's really big, especially kids who are really uh, sensitive. Your yes. kid, I mean, they just pick up on all of those things and then it's, full-on meltdown and then the adults having a meltdown because the kids having a meltdown. Right. I mean, that's what I say. We, you know, Part of the thing that's really helpful in our family is we actually just use the vocabulary of, hey, buddy, your lid is flipped. And so until it comes back on, we can't have a conversation. And also for me, hey, buddy, my lid is flipped. So yeah. if you try to come at me right now, it's not going to be good. And I need a few minutes. And even just using that vocabulary and helping our kids become aware of what is happening in their bodies. Our bodies are so brilliant and they have so much to tell us and if we will teach ourselves and our kids how to listen to our bodies we can get a lot further in life um with a lot less pain and sorrow if we will just stop and pay attention rather than shutting it down or rather than trying to push things that our bodies aren't ready for yeah and some some shutting down techniques can look as simple as numbing yourself on social media you know and it's that I just did an Instagram post this week where I said to people, I'm like, this is how I know I have anxiety. When the time limit on my phone, like when it tells me like you had 20% more time on your phone. Yeah. Hideous. And then I have to go, whoa, something's up inside of me. And I wasn't willing to pay attention to it. But this, 
uh, there's something that I'm trying to numb myself away from. Absolutely. So for the parents who have children with dyslexia and trauma or who may be dealing with these things themselves, is that the one thing you want to see them doing better is self-regulating? I want them to be aware of their own triggers. Yeah. So that's the very first place. Like we have to pay attention to our body. So our bodies tell us when they're, when anxiety is starting, we can feel it in our chest or in our toes or in our stomach or, you know, and, but I want, I want them to be aware of their own triggers so that when they begin to feel themselves being triggered, they can regulate themselves so that they can then in turn regulate their children. It does not work to say to, to yell at our children, stop screaming. <laughs> not regulated like they follow us and so we have to regulate ourselves um in order for them to take care of themselves and if you've experienced trauma in your life learning to do that for yourself can actually change the trajectory of your whole family and and their experience yeah big time absolutely so as we learn about mental health and the effects of trauma on the brain we're becoming more aware of how to be and the need to take a trauma-informed approach especially in education too. I think that our education system is is trying to get there. You know, we're trying to to incorporate this, but we have a little ways to go or really long ways, depending on whether you have a child with learning disabilities or not or trauma. Um, so what do you want to see change in schools and classrooms and maybe even at the government level in planning education? Yeah. That's a big question. Is, I know. It's, but it's something I'm so passionate about. Like, I just can't even tell you. It's something I believe in. So part of the work I do is um, a, a portion of my business is something called action parenting. So we work with parents to provide social and emotional needs. Because you realize not everybody can get to me, my practitioners, right? So how can we give you the tools there? And as we develop that part of the business, um, it came to our attention that schools are just dying. They're just dying. And a, a recent studies tell us that if we adopt this huge curriculum in a school and we take it to our students and we teach them about social and emotional health, that doesn't actually translate to very much. What actually helps is if we go and educate the parents. Mm. No matter what I tell you at school, if that is not mimicked and modeled in the home. So I actually, part of what we do in action parenting is it's a, it's a three-tiered model. So it's kind of like a triangle. So we go in and do social emotional training and professional development for teachers so that they understand one, how do I take care of myself? Mm-hmm. Because a teacher right now, I guarantee you, there's a lot of anxiety and stress in my life right now. And how can I even attempt to take care of the social emotional health of the children in my classroom if I'm not okay? So we teach t- teachers about what happens in the brain, what happens in the body, how do you take care of yourself? Then we also provide some core values or conversations, really light curriculum to just start having with the kids in the classroom and begin to educate them and give them the vocabulary. And then we do the same. We hold parent nights and we have the same conversation with parents with this goal of we are all connected. And so if we really want to make a difference in the social emotional health of our children, the parents have to use the same vocabulary, the teachers have to use the same vocabulary, and the students have to use the same vocabulary. And the the behavior that we model has to be modeled in all three places. That's what's going to actually change the trajectory of social emotional health in our children. It's not just a really good curriculum. It's not just a teacher that cares. It's not just a parent that cares. It's really making sure that they're all connected and talking to each other and supporting each other along the way. Yeah. So this is a good time for parents to to learn for themselves, but also to get involved with their school and advocate for the kids. Please do. And I, I think, you know, the schools that we're talking to right now that we are working with right now, they're just saying like, we always knew that social and emotional health was important, but oh my gosh, everybody's a wreck right now. Mm-hmm. We, our students can't learn if they're, if they are stuck in anxiety and trauma, they can't learn. And so we have to address this first before we can impact 
they're learning. And so I think they're beginning to realize it's a bigger problem than we knew. Everybody has a problem now because maybe before it didn't appear that everybody had this need. Now everybody has this need. And also how do we do it in really bite-sized pieces? Teachers are so overwhelmed right now. Parents are so overwhelmed right now that it's not an adoption of a giant new curriculum that's going to change the world. It's just getting little pieces here and there that can help build um, that foundation that's needed. Absolutely. And beautiful. Thank you very much for the work you're doing. It's important. There's so many people today that are just living with so much trauma and anxiety and our body does not forget. So it's time to... That's, that is the thing. Our, that's what I say to people all the time. Your body doesn't forget. Your body doesn't forget whether you're 70 or 80, your body doesn't forget those words that your second grade teacher said to you that stuck with you. And then think about those words and the body goes weak. The body goes, I, I remember. And we have to release that. We have to deal with that. If we want to get really healthy and deal with all the issues that we have, talk therapy is fantastic. I work in partnership with a lot of therapists. We send clients back and forth, but there is a body component to it. And if we don't address that, it's hard to fully heal and move forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jesse, for your time. And where can our listeners learn more about your programs? Absolutely. If they want to learn more about um, my programs, you can go to thebrainbreakthrough.com. And that's the body work that I do, my practitioners and I do here in the Northwest. We often have people that fly in for a couple days. It's a couple days. It it literally eight to nine hours and we're done. That body remembers that new pattern really, really quickly. And if you want to know more about the work that we do with the social and emotional health of families, you can go to actionparenting.org and find out more about that. Beautiful. We'll link all that up in the show notes so our listeners can find you. Thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful to meet you. It was great to be here today. Thank you. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. For show notes and more information on essential oils, please visit livelovelemon.com forward slash podcast. And we love to know what you're up to and how you're using your essential oils. So head over to Instagram and find us at the Aromatherapist Podcast. My name is Cheryl Witten. And I am your aromatherapist. We have to share with you this obligatory disclaimer. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a replacement for medical advice or for professional aromatherapy consultation. If you need medical care, please visit your physician. Speak to your primary care provider, pharmacist, and a qualified aromatherapist before commencing any programs.